From Feet in Two Worlds, this is A Better Life, a podcast about the impact of COVID-19 on immigrants. A few days ago, I broke the news to my parents. I'm probably not going to see you this year, I told them. They live in Sacramento, California. My wife and I live in Portland, Maine, and I just don't know how we can visit them without putting them or ourselves or others at risk. I'm heartbroken. Summers are about hanging out on their porch, hearing my mom tell her crazy stories, or listening to my dad insist that Rachel Maddow is the best commentator in America. I carry this guilt, and maybe you do too, if you're the child of immigrants. Am I doing enough? My parents are Indian immigrants from Tanzania. They gave up everything for me. And these past few weeks, I've been asking myself the same question. Why didn't I drop everything at the start of this pandemic to be with them? I kept telling myself that there will be time, that I'll visit in the summer. But now I look at the COVID numbers in California, and I'm scared. I want to be home with them again. This is what our episode is about today. Binish Ahmad, a reporter based in New York City, set out to visit her Pakistani immigrant parents in Ohio early on in the pandemic. Her journey began in May when she picked up the phone. I tried to sound calm when I called home. The death toll from coronavirus in New York City, where I live, had risen from 5,000 to 10,000 and then to 15,000. My husband, Farid, and I were lucky. We worked from home and barely left the apartment. We had everything we needed inside. 20-pound bags of lentils and rice, face masks and vinyl gloves. We were safe, I told my parents in Ohio but I guess they could hear the anxiety in my voice. My dad kept telling me the same thing. I will (laughs) come and pick you up, you know. I'll come and pick you up. I'll spend the night and then you hop in the car and then I'll bring you from New York to here, you know. It's not just that I wanted to flee the city. I hadn't been home in a long time. And now that we were working from home, I kept thinking that we should work from home home, from my parents' home. My parents, they left behind everything they knew when they came to America. My mom doesn't have a single relative in this country. My dad has lost both of his parents and two siblings since being here and couldn't make it to even one of those funerals. My parents have always said they stayed in America for my three brothers and I, and then we all left them. School and work took us across the world. But as much as I wanted to be with them, there was no way I could let my dad drive into the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. My dad is high risk when it comes to the virus. But don't tell him that. Beanie, I don't feel like I'm in old age, <laughs> tell you the truth, you know. I still feel like young. And I don't like people telling me you are in the old age. I am young. As long as I'm young in heart, I'm young. Only he sleeps a lot. <laughs> That's my mom. That's why I'm so young, you know, because I see sleep a lot. That, you know, make my body strong, you know. Yeah. No, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't make your body strong. Yeah. Make your body lazy. No, no, no. But you have diabetes. I tell him that's another risk factor. I take medicine. I'm not, I don't consider myself diabetic. You know, as long as I take medicine, my sugar is always good, normal, healthy, you know, 
running around everything is fine with me so yeah you see what i'm up against my parents live in a suburb of toledo ohio which had far fewer cases of coronavirus than new york city like 150 times fewer so my dad didn't think all of my concern made sense for them my dad is a landlord Nothing fancy, just a small business he runs mostly himself. It does keep him busy, though, because I'm pretty sure he's the world's most responsive landlord. He gets a call about a broken window or a busted furnace, and he's out the door. Day or night, snow or sleet. I can't bear the thought of him rushing out from house to house in the middle of a pandemic. Everyone is home, I tell him. Why can't you be too? My husband, Fareed, manages an education company that switched all its programs online. It feels so unfair that we can do all of our work while staring into a screen in the impenetrable bubble of our apartment while my dad is out there working. And I sometimes I feel like I it's not here that bad, you know, it's not b- bad here. But not that bad doesn't mean not at all. This isn't something I like to admit but I have kind of a reputation in my family. I'm the one who's always nagging everyone, especially my dad. I'm always telling him what to eat and how to get better sleep. I send him herbal supplements and yoga videos. So when coronavirus broke out, I snapped into action. I set timers and called him three times a day to find out what kind of work had come up, to figure out ways for him to do it as safely as possible. I got him to pick up rent from mailboxes instead of front doors, to put off anything that wasn't absolutely essential. I think he listened. I hope he did. But mostly, this is what I heard from my parents. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Mm. you have to be careful. You You have have to to be be careful, careful. yes, yes, yeah. My father came to America from Pakistan in 1978. He landed in the middle of a blizzard and a recession. The story of what brought him to America is sort of random in the way of a lot of immigration stories. His eldest brother had moved to Ohio for a medical residency. His youngest brother thought he would have better job prospects there. My dad was halfway through a master's degree in chemistry and working a promising job at a bank. He didn't want his youngest brother to feel alone with their eldest brother so busy with a new clinic and a new family. So he dropped everything and went with him. Soon, they were helping to support their family back home. A few years later, my dad went to Pakistan to marry my mom. She joined him in Ohio. There was a lot of talk about going back in those early years, but it never seemed like the right time. So my parents have been working tirelessly, endlessly, in the same corner of America ever since. My dad especially. He's missed family road trips and friends' weddings because of work. He's barely been back to Pakistan to see his family. He came to America to work. So when the pandemic broke out and America told him to stop working, it wasn't easy for him to listen. Worrying about my parents kept me up at night. I asked Fareed every other week if we could go to Ohio. We talked about it and came to the same conclusion over and over again. We couldn't go see my parents because we couldn't risk bringing the virus with us. Then, on May 15th, this happened. 
It is time to reopen Ohio a little bit further today. Retail shops are back in business with mandatory and voluntary changes. My mom is a hairstylist. I asked her not to go back to work after that order from the governor to reopen salons. She said she felt safe with all the new rules put in place. Everyone in a mask, no one in the waiting area. But I started to check in on her too. She's still, when we come home, did you wash your hand? My nagging was in full force, fueled by pandemic anxiety. Uh, did you wear your mask? Wear the, the N95 mask? No, which one is it? Cool. Yeah. She doesn't understand when you work in a public and wearing that big mask and talking to people, it's not easy to do the work. Mm-hmm. But we are trying our all best to be safe. I knew they were trying their best. But when my mom went back to work, something in me shifted. If she had all of these random people sit in the chair in front of her getting highlights and haircuts, then why couldn't I sit down at our dinner table in front of her? Why couldn't I be there with my family? I kept coming back to the same question. How could Farid and I get across the country and not expose anyone to the virus if we were carriers? There had to be an answer out there. And I knew someone who would have it, an epidemiologist friend named Flo John Coffer. I called her up. Okay, so you're not going to be able to go the whole nine hours without stopping to use the bathroom. <laughs> right. Uh, no. But bathroom visits are going to be, they're generally low risk. So the big thing to do would be, you know, to make sure that you try to find one that's clean um, and is not crowded. My recommendation, given how strictly you all have been sheltering, was to get tested when you first get there. An hour-long consult with Flo and Farid and I felt like we could do it. We could drive across the country and keep ourselves and my parents safe. My older brother lives in Europe and couldn't come home because he was worried he wouldn't be able to get back to Belgium if he did. My baby brother was already home, sent back in the massive dismissal from universities in March. I wanted my other younger brother, Najib, to join us. He's an investment banker and lives in Boston. When I talked to him about it, he brought up this other issue. You kind of like are not on your own clock, like you're on, you know, home, the home clock. The home clock has an alarm that goes off for breakfast, snack time, lunchtime, tea time, and... Wheel of Fortune time, dinner time, and tea time again before it all resets. Like, I just feel like I I don't have the same kind of, like, gears in me to, like, be productive at home when I need to be. Like, I just don't feel, like, confident about it. We normally only go home for a few days at a time, usually over holidays. And when we do, my parents just want to sit on the sofa and sip chai and gupshup, Urdu for chit-chat. My mom presents us with multi-part feasts we can't help but overindulge in. And my dad shows us his new favorite WhatsApp videos of old Bollywood songs or chickens running around with sneakers on. Which is to say, I get where Najib is coming from. Fareed and I had some of the same concerns. Like, would our trip home turn into one never-ending tea party? 99.9% 100% feel comforted that is 
own house, whatever we like. 150%, we should feel like we could do our own thing. We had my dad's word. That word is hubbub babub, one of his many catchphrases. Okay, no hubbub babub, okay? What does hubbub babub mean? Okay, we'll talk later. Feel free, you know, 100%. That's what hubbub babub means right now, you know. Okay? Hubbub babub means something different every time you say it. Yeah, this time means... That's another thing I hear my dad say a lot. It literally means, this is your own house. So like, chill out, have some more samosas, put your feet up, you can relax here. My parents say this to all kinds of guests. So of course they mean it for us, their children. And so, with the promise of no hubba-bubbub, we got to packing everything we would need on the road. I don't think I've even seen one of these coolers in a while, these retro things. Oh, there's an ice pack in here. I told Najib about our plan, and he came around to it. I'd like to think of it as a solid victory for my nagging. So that was it. We were all going to Ohio. Our part of it is a suburb that eases into cornfields. The coolest place in town is an ice cream shop that doles out massive styrofoam cups of soft serve with all kinds of confections swirled in, from peppermint cream to pop rocks. There's an old-timey downtown strip and one of those new outdoor malls with a fountain at every unnecessary roundabout. Basically, our hometown has none of the appeal of New York City. Beyond the mosque I went to as a kid and the community that came up around it, I don't have much attachment to Ohio anymore, but that's where we were headed. Yeah, hey, sorry, I'm on the road right now. I I left a little bit later, I apologize. I just, it took longer to get going than I thought it was going to, and I I overslept a little bit. That's Najib, coming down from Boston in a rental car. We load up the car and set out. So if you guys wanna connect your phones, you can to to the Bluetooth, if that's of interest. Oh my God, this car is huge. Obey traffic laws, be alert, and use voice commands while driving. Are you guys wearing your masks in the car? I am. Uh, why, why are you doing that? I don't know. Because we haven't been exposed to you. Uh, I, I, I mean, you're in this car. I don't know if there's much social distancing that's going to yeah, right? like, help you from... I might be older than Najib, but he's without a doubt more rational. I'm all words and emotions. He's numbers and logic. I know he's right about the masks, but it feels almost illicit to be in close quarters with someone other than the one person I live with. Now that this thing that had seemed impossible for so long was happening, I started to wonder if we had made the right decision after all. I hadn't been more than 500 meters beyond my apartment in 10 weeks, and now we were headed 500 miles away. We're going to take a break from Beanish's story. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is A Better Life from Feet in Two Worlds. I'm Zahir John Muhammad. Let's get back to Beanish's story. Somewhere in the middle of Pennsylvania, we stopped at a rest stop that was half ExxonMobil, half IHOP. Gas and pancakes. Yeah, gasoline and pancakes. What's more American than that for you? 
We take every precaution. Fresh gloves at rest stops, only food from home. We don't interact with a single person on the way. It feels eerily quiet, but it's also an easy drive. I call my mom to give her an update from the road. Oh, we're entering Ohio now. Oh, really? Yes. Right. 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 Now we just entered Ohio. (laughs) Which is good. Which is good. Our late start set us back, and by the time we get to my parents' house, it's around 2 a.m. I feel like a thief sneaking into my childhood home. I put on gloves and wipe down all the doorknobs, faucets, and soap dispensers we touch. As we make our way into the house and into our beds. In the morning, we sleep in late and then inch downstairs, masks on. My mom's made a big brunch. Curried potatoes, gima, eggs, and homemade fresh burrata. We had all been dreaming of just such a feast. But when it comes time to eat, we don't sit down with my parents and baby brother. Instead, Najib, Fareed, and I eat outside. (laughs) My mom comes onto the porch to offer me some orange juice, and I pull my napkin across my face and tell her to get back. She looks hurt and retreats into the house, still holding the glass of juice. It's for her own good, I think, but it feels awful. The next day... We get tested for coronavirus. Najib, Fareed, and I self-isolate until the results come in. All negative. That's when we finally eat dinner together as a family. This morning? Yeah, yeah. yeah this is really dinner. spicy, huh? Really? really? Mm-hmm. Wonderful, Betty. We are very happy that you <laughs> take your mask out. Now we can see you better. See, not only better, we feel yeah. that you are with us now. With us now. Yeah. Before you guys were on, on the yeah. distance. Yeah, feeling good now. I'm glad your test came negative. Yeah, congratulations. I knew it. We kids spend a lot of time in our rooms working. It's gotten to be more normal day by day. And it's so nice to be able to spend time with each other. In the evenings, we come together for dinner and chai, walks in the park, and badminton in the backyard. Oh, sorry. Oh, my God. You're kind of like... (laughs) (laughs) We've been home for more than a month now, and I still call my dad to check on him every day when he's at work. I ask him what he's doing and try to give him tips on staying as safe as possible. He does not love these calls. Or my insistence that he come right home instead of his usual stop at the grocery store. That's his happy place. When we were kids, he would come home with arms loaded with bags of groceries, saying, look what I got ya, and pulling out pineapples, guavas, and tangerines for my brothers, a box of strawberries for me. Keeping the fruit bowl full is how he shows us he cares for us. But surely he can avoid the grocery store in the midst of a pandemic. Tell me how you feel about that. No, I feel better now. I don't go every day now. <laughs> yeah, except, you know, there was a inventory was getting low and I thought, let's go get the mangoes, you know. 
especially for the guests and Najib like mango, Farid like mango, you know, I don't know about you. Hear that? It's my dad questioning my loyalty to what he calls the king of all fruit, just because I don't want him restocking the inventory every day. Anyway, I'm the one who cleans every single one of those mangoes, rinsing them three times each and laying them to dry on a dish towel. My parents think I'm shell-shocked from having lived in the epicenter of coronavirus, and I don't understand why they can't just take some simple precautions to avoid a deadly illness. We're trying to find some middle ground so we can all feel at ease. I have to say, I am a lot more calm here than I was in Brooklyn, just like my dad predicted. This time at home has given me a better understanding of my parents' lives without us kids here. I'll come down from my room to get a cup of coffee and see my dad watching Pakistani news and repeating all the worst parts. My mom's on the other couch, her iPad on her lap and headphones in her ears, lost in a video on how to make an almond peach cake. And whisk the eggs with the sugar, just short. In normal circumstances, they'd go to their friends' houses and to the mosque for Friday prayer dress up for wedding festivities and graduation parties. My parents keep busy, but for the most part, we kids have always been their center of gravity. We're what anchored them to this random corner of the country. Now, it's like we jumped ship, and they're still there, just treading water, looking out at the horizon for the next time we'll be home, planning the next meal we'll eat together, the next trip we'll take as a family. That's how I see it anyway. Being home now, I feel like I finally have it in me to ask them how they feel about staying in the United States for us, and then us all leaving them. It feels great. We talk very often. In the beginning, it was tough, and you know, uh, but slowly, slowly, we get used to. As long as our children are happy, and we talk to them all very often, so we you know is. For their future, we are happy. You know, they are happy. They are, have good future, doing, you know, good things. You know, my brothers and I, we're all living, breathing examples of the better life that so many immigrants dream about when they come to America. But the good life here isn't the good life in the place they left behind. It's true that all of us kids went to good colleges and got good jobs, but then we left home for good. America taught us to value individualism, ambition, the pursuit of happiness, to never let anything get in the way of our dreams. That's not how things go in Pakistan. There, life is all about family, selflessness, sacrificing what might be good for you for the good of the people you love. That's what led my parents to the U.S., and that's what kept them here. They kept their Pakistani values by supporting their families back home. They embraced American values, by encouraging us kids to strive towards our dreams. But somewhere along the way, it's like they got trapped between both those opposite ideas of the good life and didn't get to live either version of it for themselves. Whatever was good for them, that got lost somewhere in between. Yeah, something you gain and lose all this, that's part of life, you know, so, you know. I'm not sorry my children got good education, alhamdulillah, and uh, all are doing good. So that, that's my success, you know. It means a lot to me to hear my dad say that, but I wish he could feel like he had his own success, 
or that he didn't have to lose closeness to his family back home and to his kids here. My dad says he's okay with us living halfway across the country, but I know he wishes we were closer. A house just sold in their neighborhood, and my mom told me that my dad kept saying my husband and I should have bought it. Almost every one of our relatives in Pakistan lives with three generations under one roof. Staying with your parents, having them help with your kids, that's what they grew up with. That's what we deprived our parents of by living out our dreams. Obviously, it's better if they live close like in there. She, my daughter is close to me right now. So I'm obviously happy and I'm requesting them to stay here as long possible. We want to stay too. We're still negotiating things day by day. The mangoes, the masks, the mosque just reopened, and all the people my dad used to meet there for morning prayers have gone back. Every few days he asks, should I go too? It's hard to know the answer to these things, but we're trying to make decisions together to keep everyone safe. Coronavirus made me more afraid than ever of losing my parents. And that brought most of my family together for longer than we have been in years. It hasn't been easy coming together under one roof with different ideas of how to live out a pandemic, but it feels like we're coming together in new ways. Like we found a better balance between the good life in American terms and the good life in Pakistani terms. Producer Binesh Ahmed from Ohio. That's all for this episode of A Better Life. Next week, please join us for a call with an immigrant elder. And in two weeks, we'll be back with another installment of A Better Life, a podcast exploring how the coronavirus pandemic has changed and challenged immigrants' ideas of America. Our executive producer is Mia Warren. Our audio engineer and senior producer is Jocelyn Gonzalez. Our assistant producer is Anna Delena. Our development coordinator is Alejandro Salazar Dyer. Our executive editor is John Rudolph. Our theme song was composed by Farid Sajjan. I'm Zahir John Mohammed. Thanks for listening. Call Your Elders and A Better Life are produced by Feet in Two Worlds. For 15 years, Feet in Two Worlds has been telling the stories of today's immigrants and advancing the careers of immigrant journalists. Our supporters include the Ford Foundation, the David and Catherine Moore Family Foundation, the Ralph E. Ogden Foundation, the J.M. Kaplan Fund, the Listening Post Collective, an anonymous donor and listeners like you. To support our work, visit us at abetterlifepodcast.com. Feed in Two Worlds is a project of the Center for New York City Affairs at the New School.